Welcome to season two of Living Fullness, a podcast where two friends explore what it means to live out the Christian life. My name is Dina Constantine. And my name is Father Sean Burns. And every week we look more closely at deepening friendships, intentional relationships, growth in virtue, and nurturing our spiritual lives. We hope by sharing our learning, reflections, and experiences, this podcast will serve you in living your life to the full. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Living Fullness. How are you going, Padre? Very well, thank you, Stina, and you? I'm doing well, I'm doing well. Great. What have you been up to? Well, just recently I went and visited one of the guests that we've had on the show, mm-hmm. uh, Father Thompson. Oh. So he's in a parish about an hour from where I am. Okay. And uh, so I went, jumped on the road and paid a visit to him and said, g'day, see how he was going. And he's doing really well. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, good. so uh, he's settling into parish life and loving it. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. How about yourself? Yeah, I got um, my English exam results back right, this week, right. which was fun. How'd you go? Yeah, smashed it. <laughs> nice. It's one of those things I had to do for immigration again. Again. So, <laughs> you know. The ongoing saga. The ongoing saga. Yeah. <laughs> but it was nice to have it in paper format. It means that I can do the next step now. So Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah. Good. Great. So we are at our first book study for the season. Indeed. Season two book study. Book study. Here we go. And the book that we're going through is Jacques Philippe, Interior Freedom. Mm. So we're just going to pick out some parts that spoke to us or that particularly sort of hit us. You might have some different parts. And if you do have different parts, please let us know. Mm. Make contact with us and tell us what parts really hit you because we'd love to know. Uh, So... uh, uh, the first bit that really just sort of sang to me uh, was uh, page 11 where Jacques-Philippe starts talking about false notions of freedom. And this took me right back to first year seminary. Oh. Uh, where we're just, you know, it, it was it was like a Father Armstrong class. I'm like, now I know where he gets the good stuff. Jacques-Philippe, <laughs> you know. Uh, so uh, he talks about uh, false notions of freedom. And he, he says that, that there are many forms in the 20th century that erupted, many forms of false freedom. He says individualism, communism, the desperate attempt to overcome limitations, supermarket freedom. And, uh, you know, so individualism being like, you know, I got to be me and and it's only my rights and it's only my, you know, what I want that determines the truth. And uh, communism being that the individual is is really sort of subordinated to the, to the the community, and then what the individual wants doesn't matter. What what really matters is the freedom of the community, um, and uh, the desperate attempt to overcome limitations. You know, sort of, uh, if if there's any limit on my on what I can do, I'm not free. You mm. know, uh, and uh, supermarket freedom. He talks about this idea of having to choose between options, and that if I choose something then I'm not necessarily free to choose something else. So if I choose to marry somebody, that that means that I marry someone with with exclusivity, so I'm not free to go and marry someone else. Uh, You know, I don't have a supermarket freedom. When it comes to life, that's not how things work, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, and he, he makes the point that these false notions are incredibly alluring. They make huge promises about our happiness, but they never actually deliver and in the end, the difference between authentic and 
inauthentic freedom is the question, what motivates me? Pleasure or character? Do I look only at myself or beyond myself to another? And, and he, he references St. Therese here, and he, he sort of points out, well, you know, St. Therese, he said he visited uh, her, her convent, and he said, everything was so small. Yeah. It was just tiny and small. And he's like, you never, ever get the impression that she's in a small place. Like, you never get the impression that despite her, her, her circumstances that she's in, that somehow she's begrudging of those like you'd almost expect that she was in this grand enormous room because of how enormous her heart is like it's uh so he makes the point that the smallness of her life and circumstances never gave the impression of her being restricted you know that that she seemed so free that she was so free mm. yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really beautiful cool. yeah, yeah it is it's really it yeah. is yeah yeah um one of the things that stood out for me was something that he said about um, on page 22 where he spoke about Eddie Hilson and sh- the quote is, just when all her exterior freedoms were being taken away, she discovered within herself a happiness and interior freedom that no one could steal from her. And as I was sort of reading that, and probably part of this, um, the reason why it sort of rung a bell for me because I was talking about her and I was like, who's this her? And then I kind of went, actually, no, there's something about that that really rings true in my own experience as well, especially with all the whole the whole deportation saga that I went through, there was that was a period there where I knew that everything that had sort of been built up in my life was going to be torn away or could be torn away any sort of moment. Like everything from my roots to my community connections, my career, all of it was going to be uprooted and quite brutally. It mm. wasn't going to be a gentle uprooting. It was going yeah. to be very brutal. And there was – it was a bit odd because I remember, although, you know, on the outside, very stressful, but there was this little sense of freedom in that mm. time too interiorly because, sure, all of this other stuff was out of my control and I could do the little things on the day-by-day day that, you know, as the saga continues, I continue to do that, take the steps that I need to take. But outside of that, I don't have control. So what else – can I do? Well, there's mm. nothing else that I can do. So I'm just going to have to leave it with God. Like there's there's no other option to that. And that became my everyday, mm. which meant that when the pandemic hit and we were all faced with this situation of having lost a lot of our exterior freedoms, I found that I wasn't panicking as much, mm. which I could have easily have been, but given my role and supporting families who are going through grief and loss, that became a bit of an advantage of not being so rattled myself to be able to support them. And it also, it just also made me think that when all those exterior freedoms are really reeled back and they're taken from us in some way, we're really reminded that the only true freedom that we actually possess is our interior freedom. Uh. And what we choose to then do with that interior freedom, because that in itself is a choice that we get to make. So we can choose to be really possessive over that interior freedom and have this angst and anger even, you know, I must must protect this, must shield this interior freedom. Or we can choose to then freely give it to God, mm. knowing there is absolutely no other safer place yeah. than in the hands of God. So... 
giving, being able to then focus that interior freedom and hand that over to God in itself is like that's that's a gift and that's gives us uh, an overflowing sense of peace in return because God doesn't just take something like that from us even when we give it to Him without giving us so much more in return because He's such a generous God. Yeah, yeah, that's really beautiful. I can recall you going through that 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 whole. Is escapade the right word? I don't know. Like <laughs> I it was, don't know. That, 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 that whole enormous journey, really, of, of, of uncertainty. And I can recall the calm. Mm-hmm. Like there was real calm. Mm-hmm. It, it was the external turbulence was very real. But even more real in a certain sense was the, the, the interior calm. Yeah. The interior, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the which, face of which is not my doing, right? Like right, just, right. Just to emphasize here, right. that interior calm is not my doing. Yeah, that was God. That's God. Exactly. That was God just overflowing. It's the Holy Spirit <laughs> being just, His Holy Spirit yeah, self, just doing doing His thing. Yeah, beautiful. Look, the the other part that sort of stuck out for me, uh, page twenty seven, uh, he talks about being free to accept that which we did not originally choose. Uh, and that sort of does harken back to what you were talking about before. Uh, but I, I think sometimes we often think of choice as just being this this completely active thing. Like, you know, I choose, you know, I and and when something happens to me, that's my choice being robbed from yes. me. Yes. You know, like, uh-uh, no, no. Uh, we can actually choose to accept the things that happened to us, the things that we didn't see coming, the things that blindside us, they don't have to be things that rob us of our choice because we still have the choice to accept the thing that happens to us. And and, and he makes the point, you know, he's not saying that we don't try and remedy things that ought to be remedied. Like mm. there are some injustices that we should always try and remedy. There are some things, which was why you were fighting the the uh, the system when you were going through your, your, uh, your, your trials with the immigration department. Um, yeah, but at the same time, um, while it's important to see an injustice remedied, um, there are two things. Firstly, sometimes uh, an injustice remains. Sometimes d- despite despite the, the, the attempt to remedy, sometimes the injustice remains. And we're left, you know, perhaps feeling a bit powerless. Well, you know, Jacques Philippe would say, well, don't. Accept, choose to accept what has come. Uh, in the way that Christ accepted His cross, mm. uh, you know, this is is this is can be an active choice here. You don't just have to be a passive observer in something that's happened to you. Uh, I think that's that that is such a freeing thing uh, to think that I don't have to be a passive observer to the things that I didn't see coming. I can actually actively accept them in my life, uh, and uh, and that's that's a beautiful thing. There was a second thing in there that I mentioned earlier, and I forgot what that was. <laughs> so that's just all gone now. But but uh, but at any rate, uh, yeah, that's definitely something that really uh, was really awesome. And he's, he has this this quote. He says, "The situations that really make us grow are those that sit outside of our control." Yeah. And it's so true. Yeah. When do we trust God most? Okay. When do we when do we when are we forced to trust Him most mm. is when everything sits outside of our control. Mm. Awesome. Mm. And, yeah. and we know that this, you know, we've spoken about this on the podcast before, that growth happens outside our comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> doesn't happen yep. in the space where we've got everything yep. under control. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. In, in relation to that too, something else that stood out to me was on page 28, the highest and most fruitful form of human freedom is found in accepting even more than in dominating the highest and most fruitful. <laughs> you know, we want to be able to choose every aspect of our lives and choices aren't bad. Like it's not bad mm. to have choices, mm. but to suggest that not having a choice takes away from our freedom isn't necessarily entirely true. Our interior freedom isn't dependent upon the choices that are made for us. We didn't get to choose how we were born, you know, what our genetics are, our natural talents or the economic status that we were born into. And we get a choice with what we do with that. You know, we can choose to rebel against that or, you know, call forfeit on it, give up on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we do that, we remain chained. Yeah. We remain chained to those things that we don't like. But if we accept them with trust, then we become free. Then yeah. we really have choices. Um, and then he, he also says, you know, one cannot become truly free unless one accepts not always being free. Right, right. Yeah, there's this... Um, uh, St. Therese keeps coming into into my mind, mm. you know, that, that the circumstances of our lives, if we allow them to, they do become shackles. Mm. Uh, but they don't have to be shackles. You know, there's, there's, there may be exterior circumstances that we're experiencing which are really trying and where we don't feel free. But it's right then and there that we're called to the greatest freedom of all, which is an interior freedom. Uh, and again, it doesn't mean we don't, we don't try and rectify or remedy something that is unjust or problematic. We ought to. Uh, but in the moment, um, we, we are called to accept the difficult circumstances that are there and go, well, God, right now, you want me to be here and I'm not going to let this go past. Mm. Like this is an opportunity to grow in trust. Huge, mm. huge. And mm. I think generally in, in relation to that, I think this is a point that Jacques makes is that uh, we're on first name basis now apparently. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> So, uh, so you know, we, we live in a suffering adverse society. Um, which which does anything it can to avoid any form of suffering. Should we take on unnecessary suffering, particularly when there's a, there's this healing available to us? Good heavens, no. You know, uh, if a bone is broken, get it bended. If you have a headache, take a pill. Like, clearly it's not good to suffer if there's a remedy to the suffering. You know, like, that's, that's, that's crazy yeah. talk. Yeah. Right. If if there's if you're having a headache, take the medicine. Yeah. God has if given us God good has things given, to be right. able to help. God in has these given spaces. us the medicine. Yeah. <laughs> if I've broken my arm, I'm like I'm going to carry my cross to go to the hospital, man. <laughs> you know, just get the bone set. I'm being heroic. You're being an idiot. Go yeah. to the hospital. <laughs> you know. So, um, so you know, there's should we um, should we take on unnecessarily uh, uh, suffering when there's healing available? No, no. Um, but when there is no immediate solution or healing, it is better to consent to the difficulty mm. than to militate against it and to be like, oh, you know, this is the worst thing on earth. Why would this happen? Why, you know, like, like it is better to accept that difficulty and to, uh, to see it as a cross that we get to carry than to see it as just an imposition of circumstance that I have no control over. Um, uh, 
Um, and so our acceptance of things shouldn't just be, oh, well, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess if this thing's going to be here that I have to do it. You know, no, no. We, we're not called to accept suffering grudgingly. Mm. Christ did not accept the cross with a grudge. He accepted the cross with love. And so when we take upon ourselves suffering, we're meant to choose that suffering in the same way that Christ did, mm. with his grace. And, and look, we know that God can draw good out of anything. We know that, that he's able to draw good out of the worst possible situations. I've been in Auschwitz prison where the worst, most horrible, evil things that could have happened in the world happened. You know, and, and standing there in Auschwitz prison, you got the sense that of a real pervasive evil. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, you also got the sense of a much more powerful hope. Because in this place of darkness and death and suffering, people accepted those circumstances and said, you know what? God is going to bring something better out of this. St. Maximilian Kolbe. Yeah. St. Edith Stein. Yeah. You know, these guys, they they... They heroically accepted the circumstances they were in and suffered with Jesus Christ. That's huge, mm. you know. Which in itself is not a passive acceptance. No, exactly. Exactly. That's an active choice. Mm. That's an active choice and it's so beautiful. Uh, it, is, it is essentially the Garden of Gethsemane mm. played out in our own lives. You know, yeah. Wow. Um, another point for me was page 75 where it says, the holier we are, the more we will suffer due to the evil and sin in the world. But external evil only harms us to the degree we react badly to it by fear, worry, discouragement, sadness, giving up, rushing to apply hasty solutions that don't solve anything, judging, fostering bitterness and resentment, refusing to forgive and so on. Jesus says in Mark's gospel, there is nothing outside a man which by going into him can defile him, but the things which come out of a man are what defile him. That's from Mark 7.14. So harm doesn't just come from, come to us from the external circumstances, but from how we actually react and respond to those interiorly. And I think we see that really beautifully lived out in Mary, the mother of God. You know, if there was one person who we probably could have understood if if she, you know, through grief had become really angry towards the people who crucified Jesus and, like, lashed out at them mm. or grew, like, a bitter resentment yeah. towards the Jews or even towards us, you know, mm. because we're responsible for Jesus right. being crucified. Right, right. That would have been Mary. That We could have understood if she reacted in any one of those ways. But Mary doesn't choose any of those options. No, no. You know, despite seeing her most precious son go through the suffering, the death, mm. the humiliation, the torment, she doesn't allow evil to win over her yeah. heart. Yeah. She was spiritually mature, which is a gift from God in itself and grows over time and was untouched by that evil that I find to be so stunning. Yeah. It's just stunning. It is. It is. It's beautiful. And to think that, that you know, like we could understand how she'd become bitter, yeah. But to Mary, it wasn't even an option. No, like it, it wasn't even something to consider. No, I, I like like you know she she felt the depths of pain unlike could ever be told. You know, uh, and and despite that, 
she does not give way to bitterness. Yeah. It's just yeah. huge. Yeah. yeah. Mariology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another interesting bit that just stood out to me was something that he says on page 34. He says, consent to what we are. Mm. And I, I heard this and went, I don't know about this. This uh. is this sounds this this sounds a bit heretical. This sounds sort of, you know. <laughs> I was I was up on my high horse, hunting heresies and uh, <laughs> and and, and needing to call your good old friend Jacques. It's, it's, yes, yes, that's right, that's right. So, so I was like, well, what's this, this consent to what we are? Uh, it grated against me the first time I read it, because the whole point of the Christian life is, well, I'm seeking to become a saint, you know, to become perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. What is this business of accepting ourselves as we are? We can only transform reality fruitfully if we understand it. As Jacques Philippe right there, right? We can only transform reality fruitfully if we understand it. This means I can't change. I can't grow in holiness if I don't first understand who and what I am and what areas I struggle with. So I can't change unless I know I'm made in the image and likeness of God. I'm called to be a son of God, and these are the faults that I struggle with. You know, these are the this is the the what I need to be able to see and accept as a reality in order to move forward. And uh, this this means humility to see ourselves as we are and what aspects we can't change on our own. What we need the grace of God and 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 the grace to change really is kind of dependent upon accepting ourselves, upon accepting where we're at at this point in time so that change movement actually is possible. Otherwise, I can't go anywhere. I have no base to, to move from. Um, grace builds on nature, fundamental Thomistic principle. So the, the seeing ourselves as we are, though, is often quite a difficult task we often don't see the real us for fear of not being loved or the false conviction of how little we are worth. And when we fall, we often say things like, I'm an evil man or I'm filthy or I'm unlovable or I'm hopeless. But we need to see ourselves as we are. That means seeing ourselves through the eyes of God and past those lies. Uh, and, and that gaze is often mediated through our friends, our family and our mentors. Through that gaze, we're not crushed by guilt. We're set free by love. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so that was part one. Part one. Jacques Philippe. Get the book if you haven't got it. Yeah, yeah. Joy, it's not too yeah. late to join us. If Absolutely. You'd, if you'd like to purchase the book either yeah. in hard copy, you can find them on plenty of places online or the Kindle version yeah. as well. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Uh, look, remember to rate the podcast and to uh, write a review for us to help others find the podcast. Otherwise, the podcast poof, just disappears. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and uh, next week's book study will be on part two and three. Mm. And also, we've got show notes for this book study. So, we've actually created a set of reflection questions that you might like to be able to work through either on your own or with someone or in a group if you're doing the book study together with some people. So, you'll find that in the show notes and there'll be a link in the description box of this episode for you to be able to find that. Beautiful. Truth, beauty and goodness. Yeah. Stina. 
Ah, for me this week, I recently finished a consecration to St. Joseph using a different book to what most people will probably be used to or Mm -hmm. accustomed to. Um, And really, consecration to St. Joseph really just means that just asking St. Joseph in a sort of very special way to become like a spiritual father to me and Mm -hmm. to help me love Jesus more deeply by asking him to pray to God for me. So, you know, it's a, this particular book was written by Dr. Greg Botaro and Jennifer Settle. Um, It's got like really short readings each day for 44 days Mm -hmm. and it generally has some sort of reflection on the Holy Family, gives you some reflective questions and then a short prayer for you to do. But the thing with this book is that Dr. Greg Bataro is a psychologist Mm -hmm. and the reflective questions were deep. (laughs) So deep. They were really like simple but when you give yourself the time and space – to really sit with them, you realise how deeply they can actually mm. penetrate. So that was, yeah, really, really moving and really special. So I really, I would highly recommend it to everyone, but only if you're in a season where you're actually ready to be working on healing. And just be sure that you talk to someone about some of the things that might be cropping up, whether that be a spiritual mentor, a spiritual director, a therapist, or even a family member or a good wi- or good friend. Just don't carry it alone. So that's the consecration to Jesus through St. Joseph with the Holy Family um, by Dr. Greg Bataro and Jennifer Settle. Awesome. It sounds fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Get on to that for sure. Yeah. What about you? What's the truth, beauty, and goodness for you? So I had my mum my mom and dad come and visit me at Narandra. Oh, say no more. That's truth, yeah. beauty and goodness. All yeah, right. <laughs> it, was, it was really fantastic. I had them come and stay for a week. Yeah. And uh, so out the the presbytery that I was staying at is ginormous. It's mm. huge. And uh, so huge that half of it is a museum to the one of the, 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 the parish priests, famous parish priests who wrote Australian poetry. And... Um, uh, the John O'Brien Museum, just in case you want to come and visit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but uh, the the so it's enormous, and out the back is what used to be the housekeeper's quarters. Uh, so you know, back in the day, the housekeeper would have been a an an older lady who uh, lived in a separate separate part of the presbytery, sort of its own little contained area. And uh, back in those days, there were three priests in Narandra, so it was a bustling little town. And and uh, so that that little housekeeper's quarters have been done up. They've been turned into like a guest house. So I was able to place mum and dad in the housekeeper's mm. quarters and uh, and they used that as a guest house and they were able to just enjoy Narandra, take it in, soak it up, have a holiday. And, uh, and, and you know, at the end of every day, the evening, we'd sit down, have a chat, have a cup of coffee. And, yeah. and it was just, it was really nice having them down. Just, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Just for you to be able to have them around. Yeah, it's beautiful. Out. It was yeah. beautiful just knowing that they were yeah. down there. You know? Yeah. yeah. yeah so, so, yeah, yeah. So thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Living Fullness. We will catch you again next week. But as always, until then, know of our love and prayers. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Living Fullness. We hope that in this episode there was something useful or helpful or something that blessed your life. If that is the case, would you please consider sharing this podcast with someone? Perhaps it will bless their lives too. Please also subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review so that others can find the podcast too.
and join us over on our social media, Living Fullness on Instagram and Virtue Ministry on Facebook.